1 Kings chapter 19. The Bible says, And there he came to a cave. And I'm going to pause real quick, because understand, when he, there, he, there he came to a cave. Now, this was just after he had went to Ahab. He had went to Ahab, and um, right after it was on Mount Carmel. So they're on Mount Carmel. The fires come down, and Elijah just outran his chariot. So that's always a cool point in Scripture for me, um, to see a man outrun horses in a chariot. The king's horses, that probably were the fastest horses. So Elijah outran them back to the city. And so here he's at the city, and um, right before this, Ahab goes in and tells his wife, Jezebel, all that Elijah had done. Now, that's very important. Maybe we'll get into it either tonight um, at 6 o'clock or maybe a little bit today. But if you notice, when Ahab tells his wife, Jezebel, what's going on, he doesn't talk about what God has done. He only talks about what Elijah's done, which is very important to the character of Ahab. But then it says, so then after that, we see Elijah fleeing away. And the Bible here picks up, it says, there he came to a cave. Now, if you read this in the Hebrew, it actually would say the cave. Now, this isn't just a cave. This is the cave. What is the cave that Elijah has run to? Now, understand, he is in the area of Horeb. We understand Horeb has Mount Sinai. If you remember what happened at Mount Sinai, there was another man who was in a cave who met with God. This would be the cave that Moses met with God in. So this is what understand this. So as we read this, understand that we are to see a parallel between Elijah and Moses here. Okay? The only time in Scripture where you'll see a typology of someone outside of Christ, Elijah with, um, with Moses here. And so there he came to the cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They have torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, am only, and, and they seek to take my life and take it away. And he said, go out and stand at the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him, saying, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your people with the, your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go return your way to the wilderness of Damascus. Now, following this, he goes to um, anoint two kings, and the prophet Elijah. So we have this story here. So let's pray um, that the Lord would actually use this broken vessel this morning to speak his truth. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Your word is life and light. God, it is, is the light to light our pathway, and it is life that sustains us. And Lord, I ask this morning that you would use this broken vessel, that you would use this clay pot as a way to shine forth your light. 
God, that the cracks of this life, of this pot, would be wide enough for your glory to get through. And God, would you speak, would you open our ears so we could hear? And would you speak your truth to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you may be seated. Now, have you ever had those moments in life where things do not work out the way you thought they would? Yeah, it's like, how often does that happen, right? <laughs> do we even have to ask the question? <clears throat> um, it's happened to me a lot of times. And as I look at this narrative of Elijah, that's what I'm seeing here. Now, he's on top of Mount Carmel. So Elijah's story basically begins with he just shows up. And he just shows up on the scene. This, there's nothing more about him up to this point. He just shows up, and he tells Ahab, okay, it's not going to rain for three years until I say it's going to rain. And then God says, okay, let's get out of here. So Elijah's gone. He's off to this, uh, this wilderness area. He's drinking from a cave or drinking from a brook, and the ravens are bringing food to him. So he's living out isolated. Now, we don't know the full exact time he's out there, but it's a long while. And then the brook finally dries up, and then God says, okay, now if the brook wasn't, you know, like a brook's like a little stream. It's not like a river or a creek. We're talking about a little brook, like somebody you have a drainage ditch out behind your house, right? So this is kind of the deal. It's probably cleaner water than that, but um, he didn't live in Macon. But, so, sorry. <laughs> And so he's being sustained on just this little stream and whatever the ravens bring. So if that wasn't scary enough, living on that little bit, I don't know if maybe you've ever had a point in your life where you just lived on a little, it felt like. God says, I want you to go live with a widow. So he's like, okay, we'll see what this widow has. Maybe she was a wealthy widow, right? So he shows up at the gate of the city. Here's a widow. Great. Hey, would you get me something to eat and something to drink? And she's like, well... I guess, we got one last bite, you can have it. And so I'm sure he's thinking, really, God? <laughs> I, I would be, sorry. I'm going to interject myself a little bit in this story. I'd be thinking, really, God? Like, the poorest widow in this village, and you're going to use her. She's not even an Israelite, right? And so he's in her house, and God keeps them sustained on just the bottom of the barrel consistently. And as if that's not enough, the widow's son dies. Like, <laughs> all right, can this get any worse, right? I, I was almost with how I would be thinking. Can this get any worse? And so Elijah prays, nothing happens. Elijah prays, nothing happens. Finally, Elijah prays, and the boy comes back to life. So three years is extended here that Elijah's in exile, so to speak. And then the word comes back to Elijah, says, guy. Go tell the king it's going to rain. And so then we have the story. Elijah has this big showdown on Mount Carmel, right, where he's um, messing with the prophets of Baal. He's, he's um, totally trash-talking them. It would be like South Georgia football, right? He is trash-talking them big time. And so here it is. Now, finally, it's his turn. He sets up the altar. He pours 12 times. He pours water on this altar, and he prays a simple prayer. God sends down fire, consumes the sacrifice, consumes the stones, consumes the water, consumes the dirt. Everything gone. Now, at the end of that, I believe he's left with a choice, right? But he gets up and has the, the prophets of Baal murdered. 850 men murdered. Why? Because they're false prophets. They're the ones leading Israel astray. Now, here's Elijah. He's coming in. He's cleaning up. Now, 
this is a rhetorical question, but how many of you guys feel, you'd be like, man, can we have an Elijah come in and clean up things around here, right? You probably feel that way, right? You've probably felt that way. Maybe you've been a lot like the psalmist here in Psalms 85. God, don't shut me out. Don't give me the silent treatment. Oh God, your enemies are out there whooping it up. The God-haters are living it up. They're plotting to do your people in. They're conspiring to rob you of your precious ones. Man, have we ever felt like that. My God, I have had it with them. Blow them away. Tumbleweeds in the desert waste. Sh um, charred sticks in the, burned, in the burned over ground. Knock the breath right out of them so they're grasping for breath. Grasping, God, bring them to the end of their rope and leave them dangling, hopeless. Then, you'll, then they'll learn your name, God, the one and only high God on earth. Man, there's several times I felt like that right there. <laughs> you know what I mean? I felt like, man, I just, God, would you just come and just clean it up? Like, I've had enough. You know, sometimes we may say, God, send your fire. God, send the earthquake. Or, God, if you would just show up in a big storm, maybe people would turn and listen. But that's seldom the case, isn't it? I mean, maybe we've been guilty of this in our political season right now. But in the book of Mark, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, we see that there's this, there's this period of time, what's called liminal space. And it's the space between when something starts or when, the moment you're in and when something starts. Like, there's always this gap between where you are and where the next thing happens. And it's so often in this space that God deals deeply with us. We saw that in the life of Jesus, and we see that here right now in the story of, of Elijah. You see, in the wilderness, there's things that die. And it's here that you learn what God seeks is not what you do for him, but rather who you are in him. You see, who we are in Christ is secure. We're loved. We're designed. We are empowered. And it's this that we find ourselves in Christ that will always lead us to our purpose. Yet we're not defined by our purposes. One of the greatest struggles we have as a Christian, I believe, is that it happens when our purpose outgrows our person, meaning who we are in Christ. When what we do as our sacrifice unto God becomes greater than who we are in Christ. And I kind of see this happening in the story of Elijah here. Here's a prophet. I'm sure that he felt, and maybe I'm reading too much into this, maybe so, but as I would take in reading this, I'm sure he felt that when fire fell down from heaven, when the prophets were, were taken out, surely now people will see and turn to God. Surely now revival will come to the country. Surely now people will wake up. And he goes to Jezreel. And it's the opposite. Ahab does not tell of the wonders of God. Ahab tells of what Elijah did. Ahab doesn't move to bring his wife to repentance. Ahab goes to stir her up against the man of God. Now, I believe that he was hoping for revival, but it didn't happen. I don't know how many times, maybe you have thought lots of stories of you had a good idea or you thought something happened, but it didn't work out. I remember when I was in high school, um, 
It was just a few years ago. So, um, but it was, it was so, just a couple years ago, we used to have what they would call pep rallies. I don't think they have that anymore, do they? Man, pep rallies were a big deal for me. I love pep rallies. I live for them. And so um, for those of you, for you teenagers, you don't know, you're missing out on a beautiful piece of, of high school life. But what would happen is you would have a home game, football game that weekend. And so to kind of pump up the school and pump up the attendance, that's what they're really trying to do, they would have this um, break from class, break from studies, where you would get together, usually in the gym, and you would kind of like celebrate the football team and try to get them geared up. And so I was all in on this. I'm all in. I'm team spirit. Team spirit is me, right? And so um, one day I was uh, at school. I was late. Everybody had left school. I was kind of there. I was probably on detention, but um, I was there. And I remember walking down the hallway, and I, I come up to the trophy cabinet at our school. And, you know, it's got all the trophies of all the, any, any athletics that have won. And apparently somebody had been cleaning the cabinet and left it open. And so I look in there, and our, our, um, I come from Lee County High School, so we were the Trojans. And so in the cabinet sat a Trojan helmet. And I had this idea that if I came into the pep rally tomorrow wearing this helmet, I would be the spirit king. I mean, are you with me? And so this was a great idea. And so I remember slowly, gently taking the helmet out of the cabinet, and I take this thing home. And I'm excited. And so I'm at home. I'm like, all right, how are we going to do this? And so I remember getting me a cape. I got me a cape. I had a, a cape that I was going to wear. And I was getting my outfit together, and I had this um, plastic trumpet horn thing. Right? So I was going to blow it, announce myself coming in and come running in, and I was going to stir up the crowd. And so we get to school, and I'm, a, I'm anxious all day. I'm ready. I'm like, yeah, it's my moment. My moment's coming. Anybody ever done anything like this? No. All right. My poor mom, right? <laughs> And so I remember, we're ready. I kind of sneak out. I go to my locker. I get dressed. Pep rally kicks off. Here I come running through. I announce my horn. I come running through. And all of a sudden, the principal stops and goes, wait to my office. I'm like, what? This did not turn out like I was expecting. <laughs> I mean, this was the opposite of what I was hoping for, right? <laughs> Here I think, and I'm becoming the school hero. No, I spent pep rally in with the principal. And he knew my name personally. Huh? What does that tell you about, right? <laughs> so here you have in this moment, Elijah's believing, man, revival's going to come to the country. And it doesn't happen. And many times in life, we have this moment where we think God is going to show up and show up big. Or that we're going to step out and do this ministry, and it's going to explode and do well. Or we think we're going to have this conversation with this person, and they're going to come to know Jesus. And so many times, we don't always get the expectation we think we should, right? And so here is Elijah. He runs away. Uh, to this wilderness. He goes to Horeb. He goes to Mount Sinai. And I'd love to get into my thoughts more about this, but I don't want to. I want to focus on this, this dialogue that he has with God. And so here he is, is in the mountain, and the voice of God comes, and he asks him, he asks him a pivotal question. And the voice of God comes and says, what 
are you doing here, Elijah? And I want us to look at that story this morning because I think it can take one of two turns. I think this question can have a negative slant to us or a positive slant. What are you doing? I think that there's a failureistic response or a futuristic response. And what I mean by that is we see similar questions and dialogues that, that happen throughout the gospel where God comes and he meets with man and he has a dialogue. And this happened in the, in the garden with Adam. So the Bible says in Genesis that, that um, Adam and Eve heard God walking through the garden they hid. And Jesus, I mean, and God speaks to him and says, he says, Adam, where are you? And Adam's response is, well, I was afraid and I was hiding. He says, well, why were you afraid? Who told you you were naked? And Adam's response is, well, that woman that you gave me. Now, I know none of you men have ever said that. You're smarter than that. Thank you. I'm so glad you're smarter than that. I'm not usually that smart, but the second time, usually, maybe. But he says, that woman you gave me. And then we see something similar with when God dialogues with Moses. And Moses says, God, I, these people are not going to listen to me. I mean, who am I that I could go before the king of Egypt and, and anybody would listen to me? And God says, what do you have in your hand? You see, our, our purpose, when our purpose outgrows our person, then when we sit in this moment, we can come to this moment and see it as a failureistic approach, or we can see it as a futuristic approach because we haven't lost sight of who we are in Christ. But too many times, our purpose outgrows our purpose. And that's what I want to talk about this. When our purpose outgrows our person. You see, the negative side of this is sometimes we can complain. Elijah's response was, I've done everything you've asked. And we can read that and go, God, well, I, I've done it. Where's my reward? I mean, I, I was faithful. God, I did what you asked me to do. You see, sometimes the Lord returns the son. I don't know if you remember the story of Abraham. Abraham goes up on the mountain and he's, God says, I want you to sacrifice your son. So he lifts the knife and he gets ready to bring it down. And God says, stop. There's another sacrifice. You see, sometimes God does deliver. But then there's other times where Job is sitting there and he's lost his sons and he's lost his daughters and he's sitting in a, a, a pile of ash and he's going, God, where are you? I'm, I'm losing my sight. I'm losing my hope. Or maybe like Japheth, who God calls to go out and deliver the people in, in victory. And, he's, and, he, and he prays for a mighty victory. He says, God, would you bring me a mighty victory? And he says, if you do, I'll sacrifice the first thing that meets me at the gate. Well, the good news is he has a mighty victory. And the Lord, there's a, there's a victory in the battle. The sad news is he goes home. And the first thing that meets him at the gate is his daughter. Oh, God, this didn't turn out the way I thought it would. God, I didn't think you would ask this of me. God, I didn't think you would put this on the line and ask me to give this up. The other times we live in the past. You see, this question that God puts before Elijah is a very present tense question. What are you doing? Not what have you done. What are you doing? But when Elijah answers, he answers in the, in the past. Well, God, I, I've done this for you. I've, I've been faithful. I've been jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. And for the people, 
I've done what you've asked me to do. I've been faithful. I've done it everything. God, don't you see how faithful I've been? Many times that's what we can call back to the Lord. When our purpose outgrows our person, we begin to plead on our own case. Oh God, I, I have done this. I have been, I, haven't you noticed me, God? So when will you step in and deliver me, God? When will you come in and do this for me, God? And then we become the accuser. Like Adam in the garden. That woman that you gave me, like Elijah before the Lord. The, the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've torn down your altars and they killed your prophets with the sword. You see, Elijah was dead right, but he was dead wrong. When our purpose outgrows our person, we often see the hand of God on our life or the circumstances of our life in a very negative slant. But when we stand secure in who we are in Christ and his calling on our life and his purposes for our life, the scenario turns. It's a lot different. We begin to recognize. We recognize who God is and who we are before him. You see, Elijah, when he ran away, he was in the wilderness, and he's underneath this broom tree, and he's like, God, okay, if this is it, then take me. And he makes this statement, I am no greater than my father's. I'm no greater than my father's. You see, he recognized that what he was sent to do of God wasn't about bringing an, an exact end. It wasn't about what was going to be produced. It wasn't going to be the result Elijah could have looked at it as, okay, is it supposed to be this result or am I supposed to be a faithful servant? Well, God, I am no greater than my fathers. You see, Moses stood in the wilderness. He led the people out and they still bickered and they still whined. He stood before God on their behalf, standing in the, on Mount Carmel, talking with God, getting the commands of God, and the people are down there worshiping a golden calf. Oh, I'm no, I'm no better. He comes to the recognition. It's not about the results. At least not the earthly results. Because who is it that holds the heart of man? I look at this and I believe that Elijah came to the recognition. It's not my job to bring revival. It's my job to restore the remnant. At the end of this, God lets him know, no, I'm going to preserve the people unto me that are mine. I'm going to keep those who I've promised to keep. Jesus said it himself, not one have I lost. What God has called us to is to be a faithful servant. When we stand before the throne room, God is not going to ask you what was the results of your effort. What we hope to hear is, well done, thou good and faithful servant. The question will be, did you keep your assignment? Mom, were you faithfully a mom? Dad, were you faithfully a dad? Businessmen, did you do good business dealings? 
Did you do as unto the Lord in everything that you did? That will be the question. Not what was the results. Now yes, there will be a time where we put our things before God and, they, and the ash will burn and the chaff will burn and what remains will be left. And there's a, there's a thing to our talents. But when we stand before the God, ultimately the question will be, well, will you want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant? Or do you want to hear, depart from me, you workers of iniquity? You see, when we stand secure in who we are in Christ, we stand on his promises. We see the question as a present tense question. What are you doing? Maybe this morning we can ask the question, what are you doing? Well, I'm the last one left. Yes, you may be the last one left, but God, you have kept me. When everyone else has faded away, you have kept me. When all was lost, I wasn't. When all was gone, I wasn't. Lord, you kept me and I've remained. See, it changes our perspective, doesn't it? From being, oh, well, everybody's lost sight of you, God, and I'm the only one left to, oh, God, you have preserved me. We then take on the cry of David, don't we? God, you have preserved me. You've preserved your word on my lips. You've preserved your name on my tongue. And I will worship you. Why? Because you've preserved me. You've kept me in the storm. You've kept me in the worst of scenarios. you kept me in the worst situations. You've kept me. When we stand secure in who we are in Christ, we plead on the behalf of others. When Moses is on Mount Sinai and gets the Ten Commandments, the word from God, God speaks to him and says, well, I'm done with them. They're down there worshiping idols. Here I am, only steps away. And what does Moses do? He pleads on their behalf. He says, no, God, no. If you wipe them out now, Egypt will go, oh, look at that terrible God. He pleads. He begins to plead on behalf of Israel. What about when God says, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? What does Moses do? He says, oh, God, if you could find ten righteous, would you spare it for ten righteous? You see, when we're secure in who we are in Christ, our cry turns. We don't begin to blame others. We don't begin to point out the faults in others. We get on our knees and we advocate for those who are lost. We advocate for our enemies. It's a lot harder done, said than it's a lot easier said than done, isn't it? Though? But in this story, we see Elijah is the one who's accusing his brethren instead of pleading for his brethren. So many times in life, the scenario doesn't work out the way we hope or the way we plan. Recently, my wife and I had the opportunity to bring a little <laughs> to bring a little girl in our house. Some of you got to know her and see her. Her name was Sierra. She was 18 months old little baby girl. We had heard that the, her living conditions weren't the best. Her mother was struggling, couldn't provide for her. At the time, her mother was pregnant with another baby. And so we're just like, God, can we do anything? Should we do anything? 
It almost felt like God says, well, then do something. So I said, well, God, I'll open my house. We'll take this little child in. God, what do you want me to do? So we presented it to the mother, said, hey, we'll take this child in her home. We'll care for her. We'll love her. We'll feed her. We'll clothe her. We'll do all these things for her so that you can get your, your life back in order. We were also able to work with her mother and, uh, and her grandmother, or her mother, to, to get this other baby adopted to a loving family. And so here we didn't know what the outcome would be, but we had hope. We had hope that this mother would come and get in a program and find Jesus. We hoped for that. We prayed for that. We longed for that. She would sit in our house and we would present the gospel to her in hopes that, that her spirit would come alive, that she would wake up. And we had this little life that ran around our house that we began to love, that we began to love on. And then the day came when the mother said, we're taking the child and I'm going north. And I prayed. I said, God, I don't think that's the best scenario for this child. What do you mean to do? And so we exhausted every resource we could exhaust. We did everything we thought we could do. We, we fought as much as we could fight for this child. And at the end, we didn't get the result we hoped. You see, this morning I have to preach to myself as much as I'm preaching to you because we all walk into moments where they do not happen the way we hoped. They don't turn out the way we thought they should turn out. And yeah, we mourn in those moments. Yeah, we weep in those moments. Yeah, our heart breaks in those moments. But when we were on the mountain, we sung of God's sovereignty. When we were on the calm shore, we sung of God's sovereignty. When he was feeding the 5,000, we sung of his praises. But we're in the storm when the waves are higher than the boat, are we singing of his praises? When we're in the prison, are we singing of his praises? And so I had to sit before the Lord and I had to wait my heart. I had to wait my scenario and I had to go, well, God, do I still believe you're sovereign? <laughs> Am I still willing to believe that you're sovereign? <laughs> Am I still willing to hold on to your faithfulness? Am I still willing I have to answer that question. I have to ask that question. Is the same God who's sovereign when the 5,000 is being fed, is he the same God who is sovereign when the storm comes? Yes. Yes. Do I know what God is doing? No. I have no clue. I have no clue. If I did, that would mean I was better than God. I was smarter than God, and I am not. I'm nowhere close, so I don't have the smallest clue. But I can trust God. I can believe that he's leading me in a good place. I told you the story in high school. It's a crazy story. Um, man, I, I probably needed Jesus sooner in high school. I, I went through high school without Jesus. My teachers probably prayed for me more than anybody. And I, I, it seemed like I was constantly getting in trouble. I remember one day that I was in um, Spanish class, Miss Bremen's class, and um, I had this little water gun, 
It's a small little water gun. You can conceal it easy. And I was standing in the class, and I was just shooting out the door. I was shooting people as they walked by, just having fun. And it was it's fun to watch people's response. The water would hit them, and they like freak out. They start looking around. And so I am just having a good time laughing, like. <laughs> and so I'm standing there, I'm squirting out the door. And you'll never believe what happens next. Some of you are starting to think. The principal walks through the door, and I had squirted, and just as I had shot the water out, here comes the principal, and it nails him right beside the face. And naturally, you're, you're, you know, you just play cool, right? You don't know what's going on. Those of you in education, you'll get this. I don't know how it happens. It's a gift of God, maybe. The principal turns and looks me dead in the eye. Wade. Like, what? You know, I'm, I'm the kid who's like, what? Just playing it off. Like, what? <laughs> so again, I get to go to the principal's office. Um, I spent a good bit of time there. Didn't understand why. Just having fun in high school, right? Shortly after college, I became a youth pastor and ended up in a small town in, in Adel, Georgia. And um, I'm just... I just want to do God's work. I want to work for God. I, I want to see young people get saved. I want to see lives transformed. And man, I, I'm just, I just want to work. I want to go. I want to do. And so I, I loved being at the high school. So my favorite thing to do was be at the school, be at lunch with students. I wanted to get to know them, get to be, know their friends. And I went, I remember going to Cook County High School and I talked to the principal. I'm like, hey, I'm a youth pastor here in town. I, I want to come in and have lunch with the kids. No all right, um, come back a little bit later. Hey, uh, I just, you know, I, I want to just come have lunch. That's all. I just, you know, I've got youth. There's kids in my church who go to school here. I just want to come and have lunch. No. So several times I'd approached this, the principal about coming to lunch there. I was able to go in every other school but the high school. And I was just praying. I'm like, God, I don't know what to do. God, why won't she open the door? Why won't this happen? So I'm like, well, maybe I'll just, I'll go talk to the superintendent and see if maybe the superintendent will let me. Um, maybe he can override the principal. Because I, I didn't want to pull out the legal card of what I could do yet. And so it wasn't about that. I was trying to make the principal my friend. And so I remember I called up the, the, the office and I set an appointment. And I show up for my appointment time. And um, the secretary is out front. She's like, uh, Wade, you can come in and meet the superintendent. And so I walk in the door, and guess who the superintendent of school is? My old principal. <laughs> now here I'm thinking, oh, God, this will never work. I'm done. I'm dead. I, I mean, I, I thought this, just shoot me now. <laughs> And he looks at me and goes, Wade! And then that, my heart melted at that. He's like, he remembers me. I, I was hoping he forgot me. <clears throat> Wade, what are you doing here? I'm a youth pastor. Wow, really? And I sit down with my principal and we talk for a bit. And we, we just catch up kind of life. And I tell him about what's going on. And he goes, so, so, so what do you want? What are you, what are you here for? I said, well, I'm, I'm trying to get in the high school. I want to um, do lunch with my students. He goes, sure, you can do that. What else? I was like, well, um, I have this opportunity to do um, 
I got this grant to do youth services, and I'd love to do them in the high school auditorium. Really? Okay, you can do that. Um, is it going to cost me anything? No, it's free. What? Huh? Is this supposed to happen? You see, I, back in high school, I didn't realize that God was setting me up for a better purpose. I didn't realize that God had a plan for my stupidity, right? I didn't know God would take this reckless, <laughs> this reckless kid and do something with it. You see, the cool thing about this story is when God speaks to Elijah, he does it on a very personal level. You see, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? This question's kind of two-point. What are you doing, and what are you doing here? As I sit in that principal's office, what are you doing here? Well, here I'm hoping to, to get a partner in advancing the kingdom of God. That's what I'm doing here. You see, but when our purpose outgrows our person, we hide. We seek seclusion. We abandon our call. We withdraw from church and from people. Our response is fear or failure. Why are you here in seclusion? You and you should be preaching is what God could be saying to Elijah. What are you doing here? You see, when our purpose outgrows our person, we live in sorrow. We dream about what it could have been. Well, God, this could have happened if you would have only. Where Mary, as she meets Jesus on the edge of town and says, well, if you would have been here, you could have saved my brother. Which is, oh, well, we're going to take care of that too, but where's your sister? You see, we live in sorrow. We dream about what could have been. Our sadness over what is lost cripples us. I want to be a fruitful servant, but no one's listening, God. And when our purpose outgrows our person, we give up. We may remain saved, but we remain useless. We may remain saved, but we remain useless. Why have you quit? Elijah, what are you doing here? Why have you quit? I still have a call on your life. In fact, I'm going to send you to anoint two kings and your predecessor. I still have a call on your life. I still have purposes for you. We give up. The task will always fail. But God hasn't called us to a task but to be vessels in the potter's hand. Our pastor will tell us this all the time. You're the project. I remember as a young man in this church under Pastor John's teaching, he would preach that, and I hated hearing it. Because, no, God, I don't want to be worked on still. I'm ready to do. Put me in, coach. But when we stand secure in who we are in Christ, we return to the place of God's faithfulness. We may seek seclusion, but the seclusion is for revelation. Man, I love in this story that we see Elijah running to Horeb. He runs to the place where God was faithful. He runs to the place where God called Abraham. He runs to the place where God called Moses. He goes to the place where God came down and met with his people. He goes to the place where God provides water in the desert. He goes to the place where Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments. He goes to the place where God gave his commandments. He goes to the place where God showed up 
I'm not here to bring a revival, but I'm here to serve the people of God. See, that's a big difference. God, I'm not here for an outcome. I'm here for your glory. Well done, good and faithful servant. You kept your assignment. In the worst of times, in the best of times, you kept your assignment. When no one listened, you kept preaching. When no one walked with you, you kept walking. When we stand secure in Christ, we may seek seclusion, but it's so that we can refuel. Knowing that God still has a purpose and his answer is still yes. We refuel. We go forward. Maybe I can ask you, what are you doing here? Sir, ma'am, today, in your life, in your circumstances, as a mother, as a father, as a school teacher, as a businessman, as an employee, what are you doing here? But I love that God deals with Elijah very personally. We might could believe that Elijah lost his spiritual vision. We could take this two ways. I am no better than my father's. We could take it as two ways, that he lost his spiritual vision or that he realized who he was. But the beauty is, is that God, either circumstance, God let Elijah see his glory. Here is Elijah on Mount Carmel. Whether he ran in fear or whether he ran because he wanted to meet with God. Either way, he's in the mountain cave and God says, all right, come to the edge. I'm going to pass by. Just like I did for Moses. Come on to the edge. I'm going to pass by. You see, God still showed Elijah his glory. You could say that Elijah had lost his mission or that he had become weary in his mission. Either one of those. But you know what the beauty is? As he laid under the broom tree, the angel came to him. I love this part. The angel commanded him. He said, wake up and eat. Oh, but catch this. <laughs> this is so good. The angel looks at Elijah and he commands him to eat. He says, Elijah, wake up and eat. Or you could read it, Elijah, wake up and live. What? Oh, I want to die. Just let me die, God. No, Elijah, wake up and live. But this is the desert. <laughs> so? Moses, I, God, how are they going to listen to me? I, what's in your hand? A stick? Oh, well, good. I can use a stick. You could say that Elijah had lost his will to go on. Or maybe he had just grown tired but God preserved his journey. <clears throat> In fact, the angel told him, the journey is too great for you. Sir, ma'am, can I tell you today? The journey is too great for you. That's either a weight or a release for you. The journey is too great for you. So here Elijah goes in strength. Yes, the journey is too great for you. The good news is the angel says, wake up and live. To you this morning, I say, wake up and live. 
He was, you know the beauty of this meal that he ate? It took him 40 days. He lasted on that for 40 days. Isn't that awesome? Now, I don't know what he ate once he got to Mount Horeb, but for 40 days he tracked through the wilderness. Man, that's pretty good. Not only does God deal with Elijah personally, he deals with him tenderly. Often we seek validation of God's favor in the natural. Here Elijah is on the mountaintop. And God says, what are you doing here? And then he sees the wind. He hears the earth rumble. He feels the heat of the fire. So many times we look for God to move in the natural. So many times we're looking for God to do something on the surface. When it's way down deep, he's already done it. Elijah may have been sitting up there thinking, God, if you would just call down fire, these people would finally love you. There's fire. They don't love him. You see, we do seek validation in the natural. But you know what happened? God leans in to Elijah and he whispers. I'm really disappointed that the Bible doesn't tell what he whispered. <laughs> I am. I would love to know what that is. But you know, there's some things that are intimate and personal that you don't take out of the bedroom. And here God leans in and whispers in Elijah's ear. God speaking to us is a miracle. <laughs> Sometimes we're wanting mountains to move and we miss his voice. <clears throat> Sometimes we're looking for the miraculous on the outside when the miracle is, is that God is speaking to you deep on the inside. Many a times we're looking for God to show up and demonstrate himself and validate our ministry and validate who we are or validate that his favor's on us when God is just speaking softly. And he's saying, I got this. I know. I got this. I know. I got this. Many a times we're looking for the hand of God to come down in power and might and he just draws us in real close. Whispers in our ear, I still love you. You're still mine. I love you. You're mine. Hold on. I've got you. I've got you. Hey, I've got you. I'm enough. I'm enough. What are you doing here this morning? You see, God had a purpose in the now. It wasn't just what God had done. It wasn't just what Elijah had done. God has a purpose in the now. God was not done with Elijah, and he's not done with you. God knew of Elijah's faithfulness. He knows of your faithfulness. He knows. He knows of your faithfulness. He's seen your heart. The God who judges the heart of man has looked. And he's looking for faithful servants. 